But in terms of highs and lows, the high moments are fantastic. And I think one of the reasons that we do work in sport and work with our athletes is for the kind of uh, seeing them be successful, whether that's the rehabilitation from a player that's just been injured and you've worked with them for 12 weeks and seen them come on the pitch in the first five minutes, they score a goal. I think for me, that's one of the biggest achievements. I love that moment. I think as a physio department, I think they're all just like, that's what we do it, to see that kind of joy from that athlete. Um, but the lows are really bad. And I think you've got to find your strategies to, to cope with that, those low moments. Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them to progress to where they are today, as well as being a safe environment which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles that they've had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on Finding Out Podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software that performance coaches all around the world are using to build programs, distribute workouts, and track athlete progress. It is the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, sports physios, gym owners, schools, and universities. The platform includes multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting features. Coaches also have the access to consultation with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up for the promo code FTG to start your 30-day free trial. So my guest on the podcast today is Lewis McMillan, and Lewis is the first team sports scientist at Fulham Football Club in the English Premier League. Uh, he talks about experiences at uh, such a young age coming into the first team role, uh, the anxiety and pressures that are associated with that, and how he dealt with it, and how he built a career that is now quite strong with the club he's been associated with for five or six years, and how he's experienced the highs of being promoted and the lows of being relegated in the Premier League. So the, the highs and the lows of such a role. So it's really good insight to get a lot from um, Lewis and I'm really excited to have a chat to him. So without any further ado, here's the episode. Um, all right, cool. Lewis, thank you, mate, for jumping on uh, this late in the evening for you and early in the morning for me. It's cool that we'd be able to do this, but uh, how's it gone? All good, mate. All good. Thank you so much. I'm sorry it's so early for you. No, don't be, mate. Don't be. Like I said before, when I had a chat, I'm used to early morning, so this is uh, <laughs> it's much better when I get to have p- uh, chats with people like yourself when it's early in the morning, not to Perfect. go and rolling it at work when it's still dark. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bed in half an hour, so I've only got that time. <laughs> um, what? Uh, could you just get rolling with yourself, mate? Um, so we can get you to bedtime in half an hour. Uh, what is <laughs> a little bit more about yourself uh, to get the podcast started, maybe educational background or to a little bit of a story to build up where you are today? Absolutely. Um, first of all, Lewis McMillan. Um, I was born out in Japan and then moved back to to the UK. Uh, my Both my parents are very proud Scots, but unfortunately, they brought me up in England, so I've got uh, this English accent, which makes it very awkward for family reunions because they definitely don't think I'm part of the actual family. Um, so I decided to go to university in Glasgow to try and get an accent. And as you can tell, that also failed. Um, <laughs> but I had an amazing experience uh, there. I did in my undergraduate doing a kind of bachelor's in physiology and sports science and then did pretty well. So I got moved on to an undergraduate master's. Um, Got loads of experience, chose University of Glasgow because uh, incredible uni, 
really great teaching and uh, yeah, great people there. Um, from that, I did a bit of uh, work out in Norway, working with the uh, Olympic team in Oslo uh, through an opportunity that the Glasgow Uni gave me. Um, and then now currently working with uh, Fulham Football Club as the first team sports scientist. Um, I'm also taking, I'm sorry, I'm also doing a PhD with uh, Christiana University Oslo and the University of Glasgow in kind of field of training loads and looking at kind of injury risk and age as a dependent for that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, that sounds awesome, man. And I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I love you. Good. I'd, I'd be keen to cheer you off about that PhD opportunity later on. But um, what outside of all that, outside of football and outside of um, your involvement with the club, what who are you, who is who is Lewis? Like, what do you what do you enjoy doing outside of football? What, what how do you kind of switch off? Um, well, I'm quite fortunate that I've got like load of mates around here as well. So I live in yeah, London. Nice. So uh, loads of opportunities to do whatever we like here. So um, mainly for me, it's hanging around with the the boys that uh, literally have come down from the University of Glasgow and live five minutes walk from me. Mm -hmm. So um, and we're all in the same industry, so we can all have a chat, talk through that, relax. Um, but outside of this, um, love to read. Big thing for me. Um, play some video games, hence the headset that you can probably see on this video. Yeah, um, but those are kind of the things I like to unwind. Other than that, then it's just playing sport rather than uh, just watching it. Yeah, nice. Good. And like, do you feel that's like you were what one of your true passions is? And like, did that help you get to like the role that you are now? Is that where you've always seen you've been because of where you are passionate and sport and with um with hanging around with the team? Yeah. It, it, do you know what? For, for me, I got um I got this opportunity to to go to the London Olympics. And just before um twenty twelve Olympics, um I was reading this article about um, uh, the, the basically called it the hot pants for the British cycling. And it was an idea of how the cyclists got to wear these um, basically hot pants that would heat up their muscles to a certain degree to try and help them not need as long a warm up before they went cycling mm -hmm. around the velodrome. And I just thought that's fascinating. How is this kind of technology? And then I kind of went down the path of sports science of kind of learning a little bit more of how you can support athletes. And I was good at certain sports but not great and I thought mm. well I want to be part of this glory um maybe I can be behind the scenes a little bit and then when I went to watch uh, the athletes um I didn't even go and see a sport that I knew anything about I went to go and see water polo and I just thought it was fascinating to see it and be part of this kind of Olympic environment and so I thought I want to do sports science so I took my A-levels to kind of guide me along that path so I took PE biology chemistry Mm -hmm. did an EPQ, which is like an extended essay specifically on sports technology and just got more and more fascinated and knew I wanted to go to university to, 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 to be a sports scientist and work mm. with athletes. Yeah. Wow. And then one thing led to another and you're in the prem. Uh, yeah, I got, I got very, very lucky. I'd say, um, in the sense that when I was at university, I got an opportunity to move on to this master's undergraduate master's, but in order mm -hmm. to do that, I had to find a placement for a year mm -hmm. and, uh, I was basically begging anyone to take me for a year to, to, to work alongside a sports team so that mm -hmm. I could basically get a master's really. Mm -hmm. And then Fulham uh, gave me this opportunity to work with them for a season. I got to hone some more skills. I got to kind of flex some ideas that I had, which kind of turned into making a presentation to the first team about kind of how we could maybe change load monitoring. Mm -hmm. I got kept on as a kind of consultant and then eventually got a job down the line from Fulham so yeah it was just like a snowball effect mm. of just little things that kind of helped along the way I'll, I'll move back on to I'm going to ask you questions of your experience at Fulham in a second but I'd, firstly sure. I wanted to touch on 
your um correct me if I'm wrong, but you were involved with the Scottish Ballet Company, correct? Back in the day? Very briefly. Yeah. Very whilst briefly. I was at uni. Very briefly yeah. at uni. Yeah. Kind of, could you yeah. just like because I've I've in, I've talked to people who are involved with the Australian Ballet Company here and they're very much so like you break it, you buy it kind of thing. Like it's very because they're ballet dancers, like you and they're strength and conditioning, it's not really sports, um yeah, sports science. There's um yeah. the science side of things. So they're very much deal with programming and uh and 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 um involvement with the side of the gym but from your own point of view with load management and everything you do from your side of the, in the australian but uh, sorry the the scottish ballet uh yeah. what are the what are the pressures of all that because like they are so sensitive with their bodies in a way because if they hurt themselves they're done for a while sure so um so when I, uh, so I'm, it kind of, again, was like a, I basically went to go and speak to the Scottish Ballet about maybe coming in to speak to the university. And then we kind of set up this link between it where I would then see if I could help at all. Um, um, but they never had any sports science at that point. So they never had any kind of support, no S&C. Mm. It was completely novel because there was an idea of S&C work or anything in the gym would make me bulky and big and st- too strong. And that's not the aesthetic lines. So there was this, kind of trying to get over that side of things and try and introduce those elements of saying, right, this is kind of, you need to do these things for your, to prevent mm-hmm. you from getting injured. Mm-hmm. Because um, one of the things I saw was that they were jumping maybe a thousand times or they were doing a warm, what we'd normally do is a warm up in football for 15 minutes. They were by the bar and they were doing that half an hour to an hour before they even started then mm-hmm. going and doing their routines. Um. So it was just completely novel to me. My sister was a professional dancer, so I knew a little bit about the life, but I didn't know too much about it. And then um, the other thing I noticed is testing was the big thing. I tried to introduce a little bit of testing to see their fitnesses. Um, but as you probably know, ballet dancers, fantastic jumpers, unbelievable, but really odd movers. Mm-hmm. So I had to get over my own mindset of saying, that's not how you jump, when mm-hmm. in reality, that's how they jump for their sport. So I asked them to do a CMJ, but they couldn't get their body in a squat position mm-hmm. because they have to tuck in their, their their bums effectively and they have to do a certain plie movement, et cetera. So I had to then redesign the testing or think, how do I do this differently to mimic them? So mm-hmm. I actually had a brilliant conversation um, with the Royal Ballet about what they did and the kind of conflicts they had and how they kind of introduced slowly over time, how they introduced S&C and testing and how they got the buy-in. And the biggest thing was saying to the athletes, we're not going to make you, you know, the next Marvel superhero. What we're going to do is support you for your uh, aesthetic lines, but mm. introduce strength to you to make sure that you are capable, consistently going to be able to, to uh, sorry, um, consistently be able to perform and your injury risk is low. They've also got this huge fear factor because mm. it's built a bit like a pyramid. You know, you've got your soloists and on top of that, you've got your prima ballerina. And obviously, they're all fighting over the position to be from the corps du ballet to the soloist to then the prima ballerina. So there's all this fear about I have to hide injuries. Mm-hmm. So it's also saying, no, when you're injured, tell us or and then we can deal with it. So then your time out is shorter. So for me, I learned a lot from communication mm-hmm. and the need to get the athlete buy in and maybe also the management's buy in to, yes. to support the athletes. There's, there's so much in that, like, especially. Yeah working with what they feel comfortable with like hey we're not going to bulk you up we're not gonna be the next superhero but like we're going to help you strengthen and whatnot so it's like they're they're not fearful of losing their own processes and they get that buy-in you know exactly you've kind of got to meet that middle spot between what you think you need to do and what they want to do 
Absolutely. And the other thing I, for me, it was, I loved it. Uh, even the brief time that I was there and talking to them because it was so different to a sporting environment, but so mm-hmm. s- similar in other aspects, they wouldn't do the S&C or this because of reasons that they thought was negative, mm-hmm. which kind of felt like some sports 20 years ago. So it was kind of like, okay, bring this in. But also the creativity of having to change testing that was so standard in other sports, but you had to be creative with the ballet dancers meant that I was actually thinking a lot about how I could then maybe I could do something that's more sports specific in a different sport. And it was that kind of creativity I've really enjoyed. Yeah, nice. I will transition now to your, your time at Fulham. I wanted to ask you about like the ebbs and flow of like the the form of the team and how that affects you because we talk about that obviously that how that affects a player. But sure. yourself as a practitioner, how does your own um say mood or wellness is affected by the flow of the performance of the team? So obviously the past few years you've been from in relegation and promotion, now in the Prem and actually performing really, really well. Like uh, yeah, touch wood, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Touch wood for the rest of the season. Um, how talk about the past few years, man? When you've had those differences in performances and the, the moves across the league, the upsets, the the highs of getting promotion. How does that kind of affect you as a practitioner, or do, are you just so focused on doing your job throughout the whole time? I think you'd have to be a robot if you said that you would be mm. just totally focused on your job. Um, for me, I'm quite an emotional person in general. Um, so I've cried when we got the, the promotion up from the playoffs during COVID because that was just such a kind of crucible moment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no fans, there's no nothing. And we worked for over a year to get to the Premier League. Um, so that was a very Crazy. emotional time for me. Yeah. Um, but also the lows are really low. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the difficulties I think in, in football and, and a lot of sport is the turnover potential turnover and staff with football you get a lot of managers i saw i think i saw something recently saying there was 22 managers this season in i think it was the championship or premier league i think it might be in the championship which is huge turnover and with mm. that often comes a lot of change in your team dynamics mm. new people come in different setup so i think that can be really challenging because you don't know how you feel about this sudden change. We used to do this. Do we need to do that? Am I safe? And so that that's the bit where I think can be quite difficult. I was quite fortunate in the sense that I had people that had experienced this before me when I first came in and were able to teach me and, and, and give me a lot of support through that first transitional period of management. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened to my first, my second week in my, first, my job at Fulham. Uh, really? There was a change in manager, and I I didn't know what to do. I was like, "Oh my god, am I safe? Do, what do I do?" You know, I'm Jeez, 22 the, years the old. Emotions of being hired, and then all of a sudden, two weeks. Yeah. Shit. Yes, exactly. I I was yeah. 22, 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, delighted to to suddenly get the first team sports scientist role, and then change in manager. And so some of the people that you knew no longer were there, and then mm. the people that kind of hired you were now in a different position. And so you need to like prove yourself again. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being quite daunting at the time. And I, mm-hmm. I was, uh, luckily I was living at home with my parents and they supported me through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just talked them through and my dad was like, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing for me was having people that could support me mm-hmm. um, and help me there. Um, but in terms of highs and lows, the high moments are fantastic. And I think one of the reasons that we do work in sport and work with our athletes is for the kind of, 
seeing them be successful, whether that's the rehabilitation from a player that's just been injured and you've worked with them for 12 weeks and seen them come on the pitch in the first five minutes, they score a goal. Mm. I think for me, that's one of the biggest achievements. I love that moment. I think as a physio department, I think they're all just like, that's what we do it to see that kind of joy from that athlete. Um, and the goal's fantastic as well. So that's great, great because that yeah. means, you know, we'll win the game. Um, but the lows are really bad. And I think you've got to find your strategies to, to cope with that, those low moments. Mm, yeah, you have such like a like a, a massive investment with a return to play athlete, don't you? When they come on uh, yeah. and and beat, and overcome their, their struggles and they score a goal or whatever it might be, or they're yeah. in defense and they, they do a massive tackle. Yeah. It's just, it, is, yeah. it is huge for the guys off the field to be like, yeah, we, we helped in that. Yeah, um, and, I, and yeah, big moments. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, like you said, it's the the emotions of the, the of the game itself keep you in those those highs and lows. And if you would be mm-hmm. a robot, I reckon if you didn't feel that. And then, like relating, I, I, I felt with that with um the team I was last involved with here in the A League, um, and we lay lost in the semi final, and there was just this slump, and everyone was just so just down, and yeah upset and up reasonably and obviously of course and i just remember being so like doing uh, collecting all the data and doing all the responsibilities after the game and i just remember being this like shit that's this sucks like it was just like this flow of it yeah. but you loved it at the same time like it you loved yeah. it because you were such a part of the group yeah mm. and I, I i agree with you when whenever there's been a slump for example uh relegation that kind of area where you're kind of there's so much pressure as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a bit like someone's shaken up a bottle. And it, it, as soon as that kind of we've relegated, there's kind of a, almost a release at that point mm-hmm. because there's so much stress involved in every game's a cup final, World Cup final, that there's so much stress involved that sometimes that's almost like a release. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start seeing a lot of times the teams suddenly start playing well. And then you get the fans going, well, why didn't you play like that five weeks ago? Yeah. And there's all this pressure and dynamics in that dressing room, et cetera, that you maybe don't think about. Mm-hmm. There's um, that mental performance side of things for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, much anxiety. Yeah. You've proven on and off the field, athletes and coaches, like you've proven that you can do yeah. the job and you can do the job well. But then yeah. there's the pressures can make you change based on how your mentality and mindset are sure. in the moment. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's huge. Like how you act in a shitty situation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, would you say that, um, that like, for example, that period where you were hired as a 22 year old or 23 year old and you came back and there was that two week period and like, Oh, change of manager. And you're like, yeah. shit, but you had that support from your family, which is fantastic. But yeah. would you say that's an area where you felt the most vulnerable in your career? I, I probably have to say, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it was my first professional job. Um, I was thinking at the time, this is what I want to do. Um, I want to work in the premier league, the one of the best leagues in Europe, maybe the mm-hmm. world. Um, I'm sure the A League's brilliant as well. <laughs> but you know, not um, as good. Everyone not, knows, not as good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it then. Um, but <laughs> everyone, everyone knows the Premier League. You know, loads, um, so many people around the world uh, watch it, and I was so proud to be part of it. And then thinking, two weeks in, or oh, Christ, what what happens now? Mm. Um, have I lost my job for not doing anything? Is is someone going to come in and replace me? Um, I don't know who these management people are. Um, yeah, lots of stress around that. And uh, like I said, I had my family, but I also had two brilliant mentors in Ali Harris and Gary Hall, who mm. just kind of talked me through what happens, calmed me down mm-hmm. um, and just said, you'll be fine. Don't worry. 
this is what we'll do if there's anything that we can help you with we'll sort you with this blah 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 so yeah um i had a fantastic support team around me mm-hmm. um but yes definitely at the start felt very vulnerable yeah for sure and to be completely honest with you i'm not sure how this question will go i'm just thinking off the top of my head but do you, do you find that um because you were so early on in your career 22 23 years old and you had this experience it was you know you were vulnerable and you and you were and nervous and unsure of the event and it caused a lot of stress and anxiety um, but do you fact do you think that the fact you're so early on in your career and young that it did help compared to when you're later on in your career in your forties and whatnot, or do you think it would be the same again? Just just um, ballparking. No, no, I definitely, I definitely did um, mm. because it's an experience that I reflected on saying, I think because I was also so naive about it all, mm. um, and having such a good support, they everyone supported me through it that it didn't feel as big a deal now if mm-hmm. if there was changes etc. Because I go right. I've experienced it on my second week. It's, there's there's nothing else that could go any more terrible in your second week, I don't think. Um, so it was it was kind of a baptism of fire, early doors, and it was kind of right. Let's go through it. Let's let's finish it. I know what I'm doing now. Um, mm-hmm. It was just get my head straight. And I remember having a meeting with the new head of performance, who now I'm friends with. But at the mm-hmm. time, I just remember him coming into my room and thinking, "This is it." I'm I'm getting a handshake and I'm out the door type yeah, thing, shit. but um, yeah, uh, but obviously it didn't happen, which is great. Um, mm. And uh, it was just my own brain thinking way too much in the situation, rather than the reality of what was going on. I think because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's never anyone told you in the moment they said like, "Hey, Lewis, like your job's on the line here," kind of thing. You're, that's just your. No one ever said that. No, that's just always that was... your mind and your exactly. Um, yeah, your own expectations, thinking like that. Yeah, you, I, I have a, a, a propensity to catastrophize, I think, and at okay. 22, definitely so. <laughs> Where do you feel like that kind of mindset as well? How do you overcome that in different situations that keeps you mentally well? Because I, I find that the last few episodes I've talked on this podcast that's come up about how people, <clears throat> not catastrophize, but they um, they always think the worst. They always go to the worst, no matter what situation it might be, whether it's a, a chat with an athlete, a chat with a coach, or a chat with your, with your missus or with your partner. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you think, you know, you've said something and then you think of the most negative thing straight away without them actually saying that negative thing to you. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I do know exactly what you mean. Let me give an example Um, of like a, of an athlete, for example, um, I know in the halftime thing throws a bottle and it goes straight, straight directly to you, for example, hits you in the leg or something. Uh, and then you think, shit, they did that on purpose. Like, like, what are they thinking about me? I don't know what it might be. Yeah, uh, and then you think of like, oh, they but they never said that to you. That might have been in the moment, whatever it might be. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. So, anyway. no, in in that first season, I think I took a lot of it personally. Mm-hmm. And for me, for me, like I said, I had two great mentors to that talk through. Where I was kind of like, um, you know, I have to take a blood sample, and the players kick up a fuss about taking a you know a CK value as a recovery marker, something like mm-hmm. that. And it's just a finger prick type thing and then they're kicking up a fuss and i think i've done my job terribly you know mm-hmm. i'm not oh no he hates me i'm he's never going to come back for this and it was um really getting that experience from other people that have gone through it and gone this is how these things happen and then go okay reflect upon this mm-hmm. that's what's happening this is the norm sometimes you know the person that you're talking to is just going to have a bad day but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they hate you for the rest of the rest of the time mm-hmm. um forever after that um I think that was experience that I needed someone to have a conversation with me that had gone through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, um, I still think of what's the worst case scenario, but 
Um, I think this is the worst possible scenario. Let's plan for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's likely to be the good scenario. But I'd rather plan for what's the worst case scenario in certain situations. For example, you've done a player and he's too high load and my brain immediately goes, he's going to break in the next two days. Mm-hmm. So how do we plan for that? What can we do to prevent it? But know that the likelihood of it happening is pretty slim. So from my own experience of going through it after however many years now I've been in elite sport, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to uh, relationships, etc., um, I don't know. <laughs> Might need to ask my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, get her input. Maybe she'll get her on the next episode of the podcast. Absolutely, please do. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's. How? Um, oh, I had a thought and that's completely left my mind. Uh, sorry. About like no, no, that's all right. From um, not catastrophizing. I've gone down that line of. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, we sometimes assume not the worst than people. We don't. We don't assume the best. Where we's like, you know, yeah. if some things go wrong in a test in an implementation you want to do with a player or with a coach. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go well. We should always maybe assume the best from them kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think, um, yeah, assume the best, but plan for the worst. I assume think for the best, plan is, for the worst, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's, that's what I've kind of developed or that's my thought process now. You know, um, you could have said something completely wrong in a situation, but go, yeah, that went really well. But realize yeah, no, actually, no, no, maybe yeah. I should check my CV at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. Like, like yeah. it's assuming that, yeah, exactly right. It's hitting that yeah. with a certain grain of salt kind of thing. Being being smart and wise yeah. about it, but assuming the best yeah. of people, and I think that's a great way to live and to to analyze ways to still live a little bit more um, content with yourself and a little bit more ease at ease. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, you do still have to have your head switched on, especially if you have a yeah. negative conversation with a coach and it doesn't go yeah. it goes south. Um, Absolutely. Which moving on to my next conversation, <clears throat> my next conversation, my next uh, my next question is uh, how how do you have those kind of difficult conversations with athletes and with coaches that you feel like they won't perceive well straight away, or you assume that they won't perceive well? You need to convince them somehow. You need to uh, tell them a bad news, what it might be. So how how do you personally perceive those bad? conversation all those hard conversations not bad those hard conversations no um i think for me if because a lot of my area is looking at data information um and i'll kind of delve into that so if i find something i want to back up all that information as to say is this true is this happening Mm -hmm. um and provide it in a a way that if i'm speaking to a coach or a player i go and have that conversation and say this is the evidence for it so i always try and be as prepared as possible going into a hard conversation i think the worst thing that that you can do in a hard conversation is be unprepared Mm -hmm. um because they'll ask you questions and if you flounder at that point they'll never trust you again Mm -hmm. um so you'll never have that buy-in and uh you've lost them sometimes forever or for you know a couple of weeks etc so um if i know there's going to be a hard conversation i'll prepare quite hard uh to ensure i've got all the information that i can say look your numbers are low this week i think it's because of xyz how are you doing outside are you Mm -hmm. doing drinking too much or whatever you know having too much of a good time and then go actually yes i haven't been sleeping well this is what's been going on okay mate well just need to make you aware of these things um, or you're having a conversation with the coach and saying, I think players are too conditioned, not conditioned enough. Make sure that you have evidence for it before mm. that, because they might just get the answer of no. <laughs> yeah. And then Plan- it's like, cool, very good. Yep. Yeah. Pl- plenty for the worst. So, absolutely. Plenty for the worst. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've 
maybe led into a conversation is it can't be no i'm like okay um next i'll uh, see you later (laughs) yeah see ya have a good one yeah so preparing is definitely essential um yeah and then for me those those kind of conversations they breed anxiety and i need to deal with those personally but like what what's your first experience with having to deal with anxiety in your role um so apart from that first two weeks it's it's then having a hard conversation um Mm -hmm. with a with a coach i think was the next one um i remember uh it was just after that moment where i was given a basically report all in a different language Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was told, can you replicate this? But first of all, I didn't speak the language. Um, so I didn't know what anything meant on the page mm. and then trying to replicate it with just a, you know, like a picture. Um, so that was a really anxious moment for me because it was almost like a test of, can yep. you do it? Yep. Um, so I stayed up. I think I, I got home that night at eight o'clock at night and I stayed up till four in the morning to hand in the document, get, go straight to work. I think I had like two or three hours of sleep and then went in to then go, yep, done it like this. Yeah. And for me, it, it was to prove a point that to myself and to the person that I'm actually good at my job. And it, mm-hmm. it weirdly, it gave me a lot of confidence. And then I slept for about a whole week after that <laughs> as well. So um, yeah, um, yeah no. no, but it was it was that kind of thing of going, actually, I've, you know, mark my card i'm 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 a good practitioner i know what i can do i can replicate this even if i have to use google translate okay, and you learned a new yeah. you learned a new language as well it was fantastic yeah i can't speak yeah. a word of it now but um at the time <laughs> it's fluent <laughs> yeah you can remember maybe like high speed running and yeah. total exactly. distance <laughs> yeah yeah about five words <laughs> yeah class man yeah well um i wanted to get just three Three kind of influences in your life, man, that have been massive that helped you to where you are today. So three massively broad topics or not topics, uh, sure. um, resources. They could be people. They could be, like you said, mentors. They could be books. They could be courses, uh, experiences. Yeah. But what, what, what are, could you name three thing or list three things that have had a massive impact on your life and where you are today now with the full football club? Um, well, I think one of the reasons that I actually got, um, so whilst I was a, intern at Fulham um I thought the way that monitoring athletes could have been done better mm-hmm. I didn't have the skill sets at that point to make pretty graphs and all this kind of stuff so YouTube was actually the best resource I've ever had best app I think I'd say mm-hmm. uh, the amount of free information you have on there and resources that are sometimes good and sometimes shitty but mostly mm-hmm. good when you find the right people um I'd have to say that was probably one of the single best things that happened to me because I spent hours watching some videos and how to create specific reports and do load monitoring. And that caused me to then have a meeting with the first team to say, I think I've got a better analysis or load of analysis for my athletes in the academy than Mm -hmm. maybe uh, you guys. Mm -hmm. When we gave the presentation versus academy versus first team, it was like, oh, that's quite impressive. And from there, I started integrating more with the first team, Mm -hmm. got a consultancy role, learn some more skill sets from computer science side of sports science etc just free resources on youtube youtube that then helped me with my career and still does to this day Mm. um so youtube is probably one of the biggest influences for my career um as weird and bad as that sounds (laughs) no no i I completely relate i understand that 100 percent. yeah oh perfect well that i'd say um a classic family uh for me Mm. um i think my sister uh she's an absolute gem 
of a human being. Um, she's always been a teacher to me since the age of two. She used to lock me. I don't know if you know what a Wendy house is, but like a little shed no. outside, you know, as a kid. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like a, yeah, like one of those, you know, she used to lock me in there and teach me maths at the age of two. But she was always trying to do it from like a helpful background, you know, yeah. and uh, uh, used to teach me to dance and all this. But she uh, was always kind of helpful, trying to push me on to, to better things. And is just a brilliant confidant and support nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a mum who's an incredibly hard worker, fantastic human being. Um, so she gave me that work ethic from her. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got a dad who, if I ask any question, business related or et cetera, he already has the answer it's, it's crazy mm -hmm. so i've got all this brilliant support network for there for for me uh and then i've got two mentors being gary hall and uh ali harris mm -hmm. um ali is currently the head of performance at bournemouth um person who helped me from day one all the way to the end today um brilliant support really helped me understand the kind of uh, science part of sports science and then I'd say Gary Hall gave me the art side so don't just look at the numbers remember it's a human being how do you deal with them how do you get that buy-in mm -hmm. how do you stay professional and get that kind of barrier between being their friend but also being the person that's telling them that they need to do certain things for their own health and performance yeah nice definitely relate to that both of those mate with the issue in the family for sure yeah. Um. I think they're necessary support systems. Uh, more so the family than YouTube, but definitely the family. Yeah. <laughs> well, YouTube's got its own coping mechanisms. You know, some mm -hmm. terrible videos every now and again. <laughs> it does. It does. The past few episodes, I've, I've hit this question for some people because I think it's something that I've personally experienced a lack of within uh, a high performance field is the concentration towards uh, mental health and awareness. But from your perspective and your experiences, from all your build up from the intern from now involved in the pram for your role in ballet. Where, where are we as um, practitioners within a high performance sport in terms of concentration of mental awareness within a high performance system? Are we lacking or are we, are we needing improvement both on a staff and an athlete level? I think from a staff perspective, I think you'll get a high turnover in staff because there's maybe not the mechanisms there, especially when you get to the first team. I think it's almost a bit like a funnel, you know, where people drop out before you get to a first team setting because the demands are so high. And I think that's a shame because there's a lot of people that are going to be brilliant and could fit into that uh, first team really, really well, but are kind of pushed out because there's not, maybe some support networks are there. I think I could have been one of them, definitely, because mm. I'm a very emotional person. And I was very fortunate, like I said, with two colleagues who were fantastic and kind of built me up to now being able to to cope with all the demands that were there. Mm. Um, if I didn't have Gary and, and Ali early on in my career, from intern all the way through, I think I would have probably gone, I'll maybe choose a different sport, I might choose a lower level, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very much dependent on having mentors and having people that could help you in those mm -hmm. situations, the high pressure situations, and maybe think there's not enough. And I was very fortunate with the, the people I have for staff that is. Um, for players, um, I don't know too much about other sports and what I can say uh, mm -hmm. about that. Um, I think more needs to be done in general i think it's a whole society thing and and i think because sport i think 
a lot of players focus on a lot externally, social media, et cetera, like that. And one mm. bad performance, if they read that and they just scroll and they just see, you know, you're terrible, you're the worst constant like that, that gets into your head and then your next performance affected. It, yeah, it sure. would, it wouldn't affect anyone. So I think there is a lot to be done from that side of things. Yeah. And mm. where's the support? So I know a few clubs have got wellness um, professionals yeah, well, in. Yeah. Nice. I think Brighton's got one. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, a great idea to, to mm-hmm. support players and, and hopefully support staff as well. Yeah. Like we were just talking before about uh, you, your high expectations and your your own mindset to yourself uh, talking about, hey, uh, no, I've performed bad in this test or performed and I'm assuming this player thinks yeah. the worst of me. I'm assuming this coach thinks the worst of yeah. me, all this kind of stuff like that. That's giving you all this kind of anxiety because your mindset's there, but no one's actually saying that to you. Yeah. But as a as a player, no. if you look at all that yeah. social media and it's saying you're bad, you're yeah. performing your worst at the moment, you're needing improvement. Yeah, like like that that met would mess with me. I, I don't understand how they put it through, yeah. and they need that support as well as staff. Uh, and there's something I talked about recently as well with one of the other episodes was the difference between having a, a like an external like psychologist come in or they go and, yeah. and seek out that external help and they talk to them every two weeks. Same as staff as well. They talk to them every two weeks or they talk to them every month. What's the difference? Be- what Where's the difference between that help and the exposure that a sports scientist or an SNC or a physiotherapist would have on a team when they see them daily? Uh, and then they have the experience, like on the table, doing their doing their treatment. Well, they sh- what do they share on that table every single day, compared to yeah. going to a psych and seeing them every second week or every month? Yeah. And I think practitioners like yeah. yourself in a high performance setting, you know, you're dealing with them day to day about taking a test or taking a blood test. They, that's yeah. an opportunity to share something daily. Yeah. And you might pick up a lot more than a psych would. Um, obviously, yeah. can't give the same response, but. You can you can collect a lot more, and you have the opportunity a lot more opportunity to do that. Uh, and absolutely, that, uh, I think. Um, yeah, sorry if I just interject there. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, I, I totally agree. I think sometimes the mundane conversations with the same person every day can lead to then suddenly something just coming out mm-hmm. in that situation one on one when you're doing recovery, and then an athlete could say, "Oh, this happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal." But you go, "No, I think that is a big deal. I think you should have a conversation." Or are you sure you're okay? And then they open up a bit more, but it's that trust. And I think one thing I would say is um, I spoke to a friend of mine about this, of having a psychologist, if you had a a permanent psychologist, sports psychologist, psychologist in a team, would players feel comfortable speaking to that person? Because Mm. I think almost that external is good uh, because internal, they might feel that, oh, it's going to go straight to the manager. So I can't be honest with a psychologist. So then they'll be like, yeah, yeah, they're fine. Do you see Mm. what I mean? Yeah. So I think an external is good to a certain extent, but us having those conversations as well on a day-to-day basis actually brings out a lot more information in which we can go, oh, actually this person is having a bad time. Maybe mm-hmm. they need to go and seek help or they need to get something sorted or we should probably be aware of that and speak as a team to say this person shouldn't train for the next two days mm-hmm. or you know, however long. Or And yeah, that, that touches on one of the questions I've, I've got listed for you as well, be about, about being that middleman between the manager and the and the athletes because if they yeah. share things to you and they can trust for example, say that you're in your position, let alone a psychologist that comes in and has, has a conversation with the team and the fear that the athlete has of sharing things with you or this psychologist in the team that it's going to yeah. go to the manager. Um, yeah. There's that balance you need to find that you need to be professional. You need to get help the manager do the, the best job that he or she can. But you've also got to be 
you know, for example, keep things confidential to the athlete and know that yep. you can share things with me and we can help you, uh, whether it be about your performance or whether it be about your mental health. Um, but, you know, how, how do you find that balance? I find it's difficult. I think it's yeah. really difficult and it's a, it's a hard one to navigate and you navigate it differently with each individual. Yeah. Um, um, I, as I said, Gary Hall was a person that kind of helped me explain. It's almost like when I'm, when I was younger, I was very close to a lot of the players coming through. So I was very close in age. So I could then have that conversation. And it was almost like a friendly conversation. It was like, no, step back, yeah, yeah, keep yeah, that yeah, professionalism. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really tough. And I think, you, there's no answer that I could give you to say this is the route. You know, this is the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I say, it's it's for me. It's different for each player, and you have to maintain that kind of distance, mm-hmm. but also be there for them. Um, so we, so I used to have a little office, and so it was good. So some players could just drop in, and then you could mm-hmm. have a conversation. Or because I do recovery, um, it's one to one at that point, or in a little room, you can then have a conversation. They can open up a little bit, and if it feels like it's necessary to go on, you just say, "Look, I think I'd like to go and speak to physios about this, or you, maybe you should go and open up to the doctor mm-hmm. about this, or maybe you should see whoever." Um, I think that's where you have to say, are you okay with me saying this? Or maybe I think you should go and say this mm-hmm. yeah, uh, to whomever's necessarily need to. Massive about listening Hopefully. rather yeah. than giving your own input, isn't it? Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. And just making sure that they feel that they are safe to speak to you mm-hmm. um, and that you're not going to go above their heads and just start gossiping about them. Mm-hmm. Moving more back. So their biggest fear is obviously that's going to affect them forming mm-hmm. and then going to be in the team and whether they're picked or not and if the manager likes them so yeah that was my last bit sorry no no good again like you shared i'll talk to you after as well but like some of the things you've shared here man absolute gem so it's, this is great um the more and you feel like you're rambling please keep going because I, I love it it's good <laughs> okay yeah i do feel yeah. like i ramble all the time sorry don't, don't stop i love it don't stop um i wanted to move back onto yourself just briefly as well before we uh, wrap oh. things up how how do you um, leave the pressures and the stresses from work because you're involved in a very high pressure environment. How do you leave that there and then take it instead of taking it home with you to your partner or to your family or whatnot? Because um, like I've personally struggled with that. You get home, you're thinking about the next thing at work because that's just where we're passion, where our passions lie and where we really want to exceed kind of thing. You're always going to continue wanting to do the next thing, always thinking about the next training day, the next and uh, the next physical response, where it might be, or the next, what, where's this athlete at? Like, how do you leave it at the door? And then you can just be at home. For me, it's it's who I speak to. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, again, I've, I'm very fortunate. My best friend lives five minutes walk from me, but also is in the same career as me. So I feel like he's one of the only few people who does the same job in the same high pressure, can understand what we go through. And he feels the same with me so we'll go for a run or maybe once a week or we'll have a chat on the phone whilst he's driving etc and it's just kind of like look this is the stresses i've been dealing with what have you been dealing with and then that's kind of that pathetic talk on it Mm -hmm. but i think i can't really explain what my job is to my partner Mm -hmm. too much because it's just like i don't understand how that works why are you Mm -hmm. working these hours or what's how why are you going up to newcastle that makes no sense (laughs) 
um uh, they're not as sporty so um <laughs> so it's these kind of conversations where it's just like well it's picking the right person that can understand from your point of view so that's where we deal with it the other thing for me is exercise is a big one it's a big release for me mm-hmm. in general um so the stress of the day that's that's it um and just being surrounded by friends that's my kind of separation works yeah, for work nice. when i leave that door that's it i can speak to my best mate because we both do the same thing but i don't need to bring it home mm-hmm. and exercise it all away <laughs> yeah i love that it's perfect man yeah Good on you. Well, what's um now obviously um well past the midway point of the season, but what what's uh what's next for you as you um head towards the end of the the prem season? But obviously outside of the club as well, what you got the PhD opportunity coming up? Um, what else is going on? Yeah, yeah so doing the PhD stuff, which is uh, a bane, but also brilliant once it's going to be completed, hopefully. Um, I think uh, yeah, that's that's a big one for me. Um, taking the summer. To basically just have time off, de-stress from a kind of forget about football a little bit to enjoy that. But in terms of professional life, I'm not sure. Um, absolutely love being in the Premier League. Love it with Fulham. Um, looking forward to maybe taking the next step. Hopefully, touch wood, we go on to Champions League next season. You know, win the Premier League. That's that's what I'd like to do. Mate, um, I think for me, biggest achievement is those two get to, get to the Premier League. Um, sorry, get first in the Premier League, um, FA Cup love to win the fa cup that's mm-hmm. one of my uh bucket listings mm-hmm. uh, for sure and then champions league oh wow yeah good aim it high i love it um yeah, next uh, year all done in one year <laughs> yeah good i love it what um what's uh if people want to reach out up listening to this mate where's the best way people can find you uh probably linkedin uh yeah. it's probably really good for me yeah or yeah probably the best place i'd apply fairly quickly sorry sam wasn't so quick with you my apologies no, uh, but you're reply, fine man yeah <laughs> reply fairly quick on there so that's probably the best place to get me yeah all good man I understand that like the situation in the industry that you're in it's not the not the biggest issue in the world when it takes a, a few weeks or a few <laughs> months to get back to you that's no issue at all um well apart from that man that's basically we've ended the, we've reached the end of the podcast and um oh, first thing I, I did want to just say that oh, i appreciate the time of you staying up a little bit later um then half an hour and so go to bed now which is very handy for you <laughs> thank you uh but uh you have shared a lot of gems throughout this this past 45 50 minutes oh. we've had a chat which has been really good and i'm sure there are a lot of guys that are going through the ranks and working up from like especially like intern positions to a first team or an academy position uh, can take a lot of that what you've mentioned into their own experience uh, and help deal with their own stresses in that way because I definitely feel like there's a gap in talking about the practitioner side of mental well-being rather than just focusing on the athlete kind of thing because there is a shitload of pressures that they need to deal with um, yeah from all sides of the game so mate appreciate it thank you very much hang on we'll have a bit of a chat but on the, on the side of the podcast we're all done perfect thank you so much for having cheers. me appreciate that cheers so thanks to Lewis for being a guest on the podcast. It was really good to get you on and thank you very much for staying up a little bit later than you usually would. Um, the Touching on the topics of being such a young practitioner in a first team environment and in such a big league in the world is definitely very insightful and will give a lot of guys listening into this um, a good a few lessons on how to approach those kind of settings when they do accept the role in a first team or academy position. So thank you again, Lewis. 
Um, I appreciate uh, Stance for providing the music for this episode and also for Team Builder for sponsoring this episode. And as always, I appreciate you guys listening into these episodes as a, this podcast wouldn't run unless uh, people are listening to us. It's good the messages are getting heard and um, getting spread out there. And the fact we can get more guests on every episode is, uh, is credit to you guys for listening. And so thank you very much. Uh, until two weeks from now, we'll get the next episode up and running. Got a lot of guests coming up, so it's really exciting. So thank you again, and I'll speak soon.